Welcome back to Dose Makes the Poison, the ToxCast. I'm your host, Kevin, and I hope you out there are well, staying safe out there. COVID is still around, unfortunately, and it's cold out there right now. I was on a hiatus, but this episode marks the start of Season 2 of the ToxCast, and I'm back with a pretty timely topic. I mean, I already said, it's getting cold out there. It is cold out there right now. There is snow on the ground over a huge chunk of the United States. We got a solid 10 inches of snow, and we got another inch or so last night. So there is a lot of snow, and it's cold, and people are trying to stay warm, especially in parts of the country that don't typically get this sort of cold weather. <coughs> Texas. <coughs> And where they may be dealing with malfunctioning power grids. <coughs> Texas! <coughs> and really, all of this means, in the forensic toxicology world, we start to see an increase in carbon monoxide poisoning cases. For example, the headlines that you actually can read in the news at this very minute read something like, Texas woman, child, dead from carbon monoxide poisoning, 13 kids treated overnight in the state. One man dead, 13 kids suffer carbon monoxide poisoning as Fort Worth tries to keep warm. Four die from carbon monoxide poisoning during winter storm. Two dead from carbon monoxide poisoning after using car for heat in Texas storm. So I figured today, with what's going on, let's take a look at what carbon monoxide is, what it does to the body, how the body processes it, and ultimately why is carbon monoxide dangerous? So let's take a step back and kind of look at carbon monoxide through history for a moment, just briefly. So if you go all the way back to the 300s BC before Common Era, Aristotle first recorded that burning coals produced toxic fumes. And then a little while later, you had a method of execution was adapted in ancient times to where you basically shut a criminal or quote-unquote criminal in a room with smoldering coals because they knew the fumes were toxic. Greek physician, surgeon, and philosopher Galen surmised that there was a change in the composition of the air that caused harm when inhaled, but of course the exact mechanism of death was not known. In 1776, French chemist Joseph-Marie-Francois de Lassan produced carbon monoxide by heating zinc oxide with coke. And when I say coke, I don't mean Coca-Cola or cocaine, but the high-carbon purity fuel made by heating coal or oil in the absence of air. That sort of coke. So he heated zinc oxide with coke, and when it burned with a blue-colored flame, he concluded that the product was hydrogen. In 1800, Scottish surgeon and professor of chemistry, William Cruikshank, identified carbon monoxide gas as containing both carbon and oxygen. In 1846, French physiologist Claude Bernard studied the effects of this gas on dogs. Later, during World War II times, in order to keep vehicles running in, in parts of the world where gasoline and diesel fuel were pretty scarce, pretty rare to find, uh, a mixture called wood gas was made, which included carbon monoxide that was made and used as a fuel to keep vehicles running. More notoriously during those times, 
carbon monoxide was also used during the Holocaust in some Nazi extermination camps, specifically used in gas vans in the first Nazi extermination camp, Kelmno, and in the Action T4 involuntary Nazi euthanasia program. They used carbon monoxide to kill people. All of that took place between 1939 and 1945. So that was kind of a look back at the history of carbon monoxide, just briefly. So what is carbon monoxide? Carbon monoxide, or CO for short, carbon and oxygen, um, it is a colorless, odorless, tasteless gas. It has a molecular weight of 28.0 grams per mole, a density of 0.968, which is less than the density of air. Carbon monoxide is produced from the incomplete combustion of organic compounds and fuels such as wood, coal, charcoal, oil, paraffin, propane, natural gas, garbage, trash, those sorts of things. Basically, carbon monoxide is formed from the partial oxidation of carbon-containing compounds. It forms when there is insufficient oxygen to produce carbon dioxide. The major sources of human exposure to carbon monoxide are things like cigarette smoke, exhaust from internal combustion engines and vehicles, generators, and lawnmowers, heating and ventilation system malfunctions, fires, and even halomethane um, metabolism. So things like dichloromethane and dibromomethane, uh, the metabolism of those. Uh, carbon monoxide is actually also produced in a heme catabolism in the human body, and therefore it is present in trace amounts in the blood, but nothing substantial that it would produce an effect. So why is carbon monoxide so toxic? When, when talking about the toxicity of carbon monoxide, we must first talk about respiration in the body. So in respiration, in respiration is the process that manufactures something called ATP or adenosine triphosphate or high energy molecules, which are then used to drive important processes in living cells, such as muscle contraction, nerve impulse propagation, chemical synthesis. So very, very important parts of living are driven by adenosine triphosphate or energy. These processes, again, like I said, are crucial for life. If you've ever taken a class in biology, you may remember the processes named glycolysis, the Krebs cycle, oxidative phosphorylation, we're not going that deep into the weeds right now. I mean, if you really want to get headaches, go find a biology textbook, uh, open it up and read all about the Krebs cycle and all about oxidative phosphorylation. But that is all cellular respiration. All of those processes interconnect to convert sugar, amino acids, fatty acids, and most importantly, molecular oxygen to ATP or adenosine triphosphate energy. So let's get back to the blood. In the blood, hemoglobin contains iron in the form of a ferrous ion, or it's iron in the two plus valence state. Carbon monoxide readily binds to this ferrous ion, which forms carboxyhemoglobin. When blood is exposed to carbon monoxide and oxygen together, 
Binding occurs in proportion of one mole of carbon monoxide or oxygen per mole of ferrous ion. However, the partial pressure required for carbon monoxide binding is one two hundredth to one three hundredth of the partial pressure needed for oxygen binding. All of this is a long way to say that carbon monoxide has approximately two to three hundred times greater affinity for hemoglobin than oxygen does. And this is the crux of carbon monoxide's toxicity. It has a greater affinity for hemoglobin than what oxygen does. One effect of this binding is that the portion of hemoglobin bound to carbon monoxide can no longer bind with oxygen, which then in turn reduces the body's oxygen carrying capacity, which again then leads to a shortage of oxygen to the body tissues. All of this is referred to as anemic hypoxia, lack of oxygen to the body tissues. That's one effect. A second effect of carbon monoxide is this binding causes a leftward shift of, of something called the oxygen hemoglobin saturation curve, which basically means that in short terms, the presence of carbon monoxide causes an increase in the affinity of oxygen for hemoglobin, which decreases the release of oxygen from binding sites on hemoglobin, which then in turn further exacerbates the whole problem of hypoxia. To summarize, carbon monoxide enters the lungs, it's absorbed by the body into the bloodstream. Carbon monoxide preferentially binds to hemoglobin in the blood and then does damage in two parts. Number one, it does not allow oxygen to bind to hemoglobin as it normally would. And number two, it decreases the release of already hemoglobin-bound oxygen. All of this results in a lack of oxygen to the body tissues, such as the heart and the brain. Those tissues need oxygen to drive the processes of life. Carbon monoxide has a half-life of approximately four to five hours at normal oxygen concentrations. At 100% oxygen, its half-life is 30 to 90 minutes. And at hyperbaric conditions, you're looking at a half-life of around 30 minutes. Carbon monoxide poisoning is the leading cause of both accidental and intentional poisoning deaths in the United States. Smoke inhalation is the most common source of carbon monoxide exposure. So during poisoning or death investigations, a forensic toxicology laboratory will measure the amount of percentage of hemoglobin in the carboxyhemoglobin form as a, again, percent via a few different ways. But most commonly, toxicologists will analyze the blood using gas chromatography or spectrophotometry or even using a cooximeter. Tissues containing hemoglobin can also be analyzed, but it requires a carbon monoxide to iron ratio profile, which needs additional instrumentation. And that additional instrumentation is an ICPMS or an inductively coupled plasma mass spectrometer for that iron determination. Not everybody has an ICPMS, so that those can be sometimes hard to come by. But usually, again, you'll see this done in a lab by gas chromatography, spectrophotometry, or cooximeter. Symptoms of toxicity are dependent upon the amount or concentration of carbon monoxide in the air, the state of the individual's activity at the time of exposure, the duration of that exposure, 
and the rate of accumulation of carboxyhemoglobin. The percentage of hemoglobin present in the carboxyhemoglobin per state is used as a measure of the extent of exposure and degree of toxicity. Remember that carbon monoxide is endogenous to the body. So all individuals have some sort of carbon monoxide in their body. Normal levels for a non-smoking individual are typically less than 3% carboxyhemoglobin saturation. Normal levels for smokers are typically less than 10% saturation. It is therefore looked at that 10% or less saturation is considered quote-unquote normal or quote-unquote non-toxic in a healthy individual. Anything greater than 10% saturation is considered significant in toxicology. Symptoms of carbon monoxide poison can be described as follows. So from 0 to 10%, as I said, this is considered normal. But one could potentially be short of breath, especially when vigorously exercising. In the 10 to 20% saturation range, an individual would most likely have a headache, flushed skin, shortness of breath with moderate exercise. In the 20 to 30% saturation range, a person would most likely have a headache, throbbing temples, be really irritable, exhibit some emotional instability, have impaired judgment, memory impairment, and fatigue pretty rapidly over time. In that 30 to 40% saturation range, a person would exhibit dizziness, weakness, nausea, vomiting. They would also have a severe headache, possibly visual disturbances and, and confusion. In that 40 to 50% saturation range, a person at that in that range would have all of those symptoms that we already previously talked about intensified along with hallucinations, severe ataxia, which is impaired balance or coordination, and tachypnea, which is abnormal rapid breathing. And then you get to the greater than 50% saturation range. A person with greater than 50% carboxyhemoglobin saturation would most likely be tachycardic or have rapid heartbeat with a weak pulse. They would potentially be in a coma. They could be convulsing have loss of reflexes, be cyanotic, or have bluish discoloration of the skin due to poor circulation or inadequate oxygenation of the blood. They would exhibit potentially respiratory paralysis. Greater than 50% carboxyhemoglobin saturation is universally thought of as being incompatible with life, aka fatal. With all of this being said, while most fatalities do occur at saturations greater than 50%, death related to carbon monoxide exposure takes place over a wide range of saturations, which are due to circumstances such as pre-existing pathological conditions. So if someone already has a compromised respiratory or compromised cardiovascular system, uh, if there are presence of other central nervous system depressants on hand, such as ethanol, opioids, benzodiazepines. Physical exertion would increase the body's oxygen demand. And presence of other substances such as cyanide and fire-related deaths. Those all will lead to potential deaths even at lower concentrations or lower saturations of carbon monoxide. From a post-mortem toxicology perspective, which I speak, 
The most significant characteristic observed in fatal carbon monoxide cases is the presence of bright cherry red colored blood, along with potentially the same discoloration of fingernails, mucous membranes, and skin. The important thing to remember there is the coloration is also seen in other states such as cold exposure, decomposition, and cyanide exposure as well. So it's not necessarily specific to carbon monoxide, but it is a sign of carbon monoxide poisoning. According to the Center for, Centers for Disease Control, carbon monoxide poisoning from unintentional exposure not linked to fires kills more than 400 Americans every year with more than 20,000 people visiting the emergency room and more than 4,000 of those people hospitalized. The people most susceptible to poisoning would be the elderly, people with chronic cardiovascular and chronic respiratory conditions, and infants. Those are the people most susceptible to carbon monoxide poisoning. But everyone is at risk for carbon monoxide poisoning. With all of this said, what can you do to prevent carbon monoxide poisoning? Number one, install carbon monoxide detectors in your home. Check the batteries regularly. Replace the batteries regularly. Number two, do not run your vehicle in an enclosed space. This includes garages. Number three, do not use a generator or gas or charcoal grill in an enclosed space. Make sure you have proper ventilation. Four, do not burn any sort of combustible fuel in an enclosed space. This includes wood, gas, oil, trash, anything. You can burn things in a properly maintained fireplace, but not in any sort of enclosed space. Number five, have your chimney checked or cleaned regularly. And number six, if you do have gas appliances, make sure they are vented properly. Again, I just want to stress to you, carbon monoxide poisoning is real. It happens this time of year, especially when people are trying to stay warm. Those were pointers on what you can do to minimize or not suffer from carbon monoxide poisoning. This was not a podcast episode about murder, but if you want a good story about how carbon monoxide was used to murder people, go search on the internet for the yoga ball murder. Yes, I did say yoga ball murder. It's about an anesthetist in Hong Kong who allegedly filled a yoga ball with a lethal amount of carbon monoxide gas, and he used it to kill his family. Sounds wild. It is wild. Um, friend of the show, Dr. Justin Brower, highlighted this case and made me aware of it in a series of tweets on Twitter a few years ago. You can search those out. He does a great job describing the case and breaking down the numbers and how carbon monoxide would have been fatal in that case or how it could have been used. Anyways, over the last 20 or so minutes, I hope you learned a bit about what carbon monoxide is, how it works, why it is so toxic to the body, and what to do to prevent carbon monoxide poisoning. I want all of you to stay warm and I want all of you to stay safe. If you would like to email me, send me a message at dosemakesthepoisonpodcast at gmail.com. If you have episode ideas or what, want something clarified or simply have a question, send me a message. Find me on Twitter at ToxCast or on Facebook at the Dose Makes the Poison podcast page. Give it a like if you can. If you like this show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts app. I just started a Patreon for the show. 
If you do want to contribute that sort of thing, then please visit my Patreon page. I've linked to it on Twitter and Facebook. Um, again, though, friends, it is cold out there. It is winter. Warm weather is on the way, but I want you to stay warm and I want you to stay safe. I'll be back soon with another interesting toxicology topic. But as always, never practice toxicology in a vacuum. Mm -hmm.